This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hailed by critics and audiences around the world, the biggest thriller of the summer, A Quiet Place Part 2 is now available on 4K, Ultra HD, Blu-ray, and digital. Following the deadly events at home, the Avid family must now face terrors to the outside world as they continue their fight for survival in silence. Starring Emily Blunt, Killian Murphy, and Moon Hansu, the terrifyingly suspenseful thriller A Quiet Place Part 2 comes with exclusive bonus content featuring director John Krasinski, who takes viewers deep into the world of A Quiet Place. Also, you can experience the whole Abbott family saga with a two-movie collection, available exclusively on Blu-ray and digital, rated PG-13 from Paramount Pictures. Hey guys, welcome to episode 264 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Guys, we got a lot to cover tonight. So let's just jump in and thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks to all of you men, women, service animals. Thank you for everything you do every day. Amen. God bless you all. Keeping you guys in our prayers as usual. And thank you for protecting us. We can never owe you enough. With that being said, um, obviously, we want to talk to the family in in Louisville, Kentucky, of uh, Brandon Shirley. Worked for Jefferson County Sheriff's Department. He's uh, mid-20s and was just working an off-duty job at a car lot the other night and was ambushed and shot and killed, unfortunately. And uh, I know... Uh, his sister-in-law actually listens to the show and uh, he went to Fairdale High School, which is my alma mater. And I know they had a beautiful candlelight vigil for him the other night. So thanks to everybody who showed up for that and the outpouring of support for his family. I know uh, they appreciate it. Yeah, it's very heartbreaking. It's to be so young and for something horrible like that to happen to him. The community did come together and it was just very touching. And our thoughts and prayers are with you guys, honey. Also, we want to just make sure that everybody knows that if you're going through a tough time, and like I said, we see it in the group way more now than I think we've ever seen it. People are struggling. They're reaching out for people, which is a great thing that that they're reaching out to people. And we want more people to realize that you've got somebody to talk to. Even if you feel like you don't have friends, you don't feel like you have family, you have us. Tracy and I will gladly talk to you. We have 5,100 people, almost 5,200 now in the group mm-hmm. that will talk to you any day or night. It don't matter if you're in New Zealand. doesn't matter if you're in Great Britain or in Hawaii. It doesn't matter the time zone. There is always somebody up that is willing to talk to you in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Please reach out, guys. We're there for you. You can call Jerry and I. It doesn't matter what time of day or night it is. We will be there for you. Um, also, but if you would rather call the uh, suicide hotline number, you can call them at 1-800-273-8255. You can also text at 741-741. We love you guys. Please reach out to us. Right. I know I try to, and I know this is a little off, but if I'm going through Facebook and I see somebody struggling, I'll usually reach out to them. Right. So, and my point for that is I, I want you guys to do the same. If you're flipping through Facebook or flipping through Instagram, if somebody has a post saying that, you know, they're really struggling, they're going to a tough time, even if you don't really talk to that person, just reach out to them and let them know you're a good listener and you're Absolutely. there if you need them. You'd be surprised how often that person may talk to you that you're you've never so talked to right. in your life. You're so right. And God bless you all for being there for everybody. All right. So, Tracy, I think we've got a fun show tonight. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of stuff about the show. To talk about, we've made we're making some changes. We'll talk about that after uh, the story. So tune in for that. 
Also, we have Stephanie Smith on tonight. I, I got a chance to interview her. She is a tour guide and an employee other than just a tour guide, but she does other stuff for the Shanley Hotel up in New York. And most of you have probably seen the meme float around over the last three, four, five years that says the Shanley Hotel is a hotel that you have to have or you have to sign a waiver in order to spend the night. Oh, yeah. So that Most people kind of remember that part. And it sounds like the Stanley Hotel, but mm-hmm. it's the Shanley Hotel. But she actually comes on and talks to us about that. And she's actually had a couple of uh, experiences up at Hinsdale House also. Oh, So you get a little, nice. little twofer action going on All there. Right. But she's pretty fun. Tonight's story, though, is going to be more police stories. Mm-hmm. Now, we did this about two months ago, and we had a lot of people say that they really enjoyed the police stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had said we were going to do some more. And we'll probably even still do another group of police stories because these are all going to be, I'm not going to say they're all paranormal. Some of them are just strange, unexplainable type deal. And that's kind of what we, even the last one was like that. Because remember, we had the, the old woman that the cop was stood up on the bucket to look in the room and the old woman was just standing there. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I mean, that really wasn't paranormal, but it was creepy <laughs> as hell. So we, we've got a couple of those in here along with some paranormal stuff. But I think eventually I found a, a lot of stories researching these that had UFO encounters with police. Mm. So we may do another episode going forward of nothing but police and UFO encounters. Sounds so, good. Now that I'm on a UFO kick. I know. More on that later. You've been turning a little green lately, too. <laughs> just letting you know. That's <laughs> just because you're cooking. Oh. So anyways. Fun. I also want to point out, this is purely coincidental that the boys from Ohio decided to do a police <laughs> encounters episode this week as well. And uh, I reached out to Nick. I'm like, how are you going to just, just randomly do one right when I ha- I've had this scheduled for three weeks to do Wait, this? Wait, I thought you were going to do something different. Well, I already had this one already worked on, though. Oh. It would have been too late to start. Oh. And then, once again, this is two weeks in a row that they've done an episode where he's somehow managed to take their the picture <laughs> for it and impose my face over top. <laughs> this time, it was over top of a police officer and a couple of faces sticking up behind headstones in a cemetery. And now they were so funny. <laughs> and, and the last time, it was a Craigslist story that had my face. <laughs> Posted over top of a woman who apparently had posted, you know, like on Craigslist to try to meet somebody. That's pretty scary, y'all. Don't look it up. (laughs) Yes. Gotta love my boys of Ohio. Love them. Who we will be seeing in 13 days. I know. I'm so excited. Okay, so these aren't really long stories, but I did try to find some of the more interesting ones, we'll say. Not that they're not all interesting. Yeah. These stood out to me for whatever reason. This first story comes from a Michigan State trooper by the name of Herman Brown. You know, by coincidence, most of these came from like the same area as far as Michigan. Oh. I don't know why, but it seemed like the ones that I found that stood out every time I looked, it was Michigan. Except for one that was in Ohio. Mm -hmm. But he knew the guy from Michigan. So. Oh, stop. He did not. Kind of. Maybe. Oh. Anyways, we'll see. I might be lying. I don't know. <laughs> well, well I'm trying to, one of these stories is connected to one of the other guys. That's why I was trying to remember. So, yeah. all right. This first, first story comes from Michigan State Trooper Herman Brown. He'd been working second shift. On this day, he had been completely worn out because it was like one of those super long days. You know, some days just drag. Oh, I know. And this was one of those days. Damn, Ninja. He's telling you how he feels. Apparently. So, he hopped in a small pickup truck. He was still in uniform. And he starts making his way home toward Adrian, Michigan. It's right around midnight, okay? This stretch of highway was apparently not the most uh, exciting stretch for somebody who was already tired. Pretty much just cornfields on both sides of the road, mm-hmm. according to him. Nothing to look at. Right. He was going about 65 miles an hour, and he fell asleep at the wheel. His vehicle had just hit the gravel on the shoulder of the road, right? Mm-hmm. And he said he heard a very loud voice start shouting, wake up, wake up. That's when State Trooper Brown opened his eyes and realized that he was heading across the opposite side of the road straight towards a ditch. He said his head was tilted forward, so he knew he was sound asleep when he when he looked up. But 
he noticed that there was a man sitting on the passenger seat screaming at him to wake up. He could only see the man's outline because of the really bright glow that was around him. He said it was so intense that the glow seemed to come from within him and around him. Wow. So he's staring directly into this this being's eyes, but the glow was so great that he could only make out the contour of his face. Mm -hmm. He said, though, that his stare was intense. He'll never forget it. Trooper Brown said he looked forward rapidly and he saw the approaching edge of that ditch. He didn't panic. He took his foot off the gas and he steered back toward the road. And once he had his truck under control, he looked back at the passenger seat, but there was no one there. There was still somewhat of a dim light glowing there, but that soon faded away. He said it definitely was not a dream. He not only saw the man, he felt the presence in the truck with him. Trooper Brown said that he feels like that this was an angel and not a ghost. He's also convinced that this angel saved his life. If his truck had went off the road into that ditch, he said he would have surely flipped and he would have probably either been killed or seriously injured. Wow, that's crazy. I was kind of thinking, why didn't the ghost just grab the steering wheel? Well, that's for Jesus to do. Oh, oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) They don't want to overstep its bounds. (laughs) It's just a pecking order. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Dang, that is so crazy. Oh, my gosh. Well, he did have an angel looking over him. That's for dang sure. I would say so. Tracy, we all have some type of sixth sense. Some call that instinct or intuition, but sometimes you just get a feeling that something just isn't right or that someone is watching. You know that feeling that uh, somebody's watching you. Yep. The next story falls along those lines. So this happened to patrolman Michael DeVita. He's now retired from the Lima, Ohio Police Department. I don't know if it's Lima or Lima. I've heard it both ways. It's Lima. I, is it? Lima, Ohio. Lima, Ohio. Lima. I used to say Lima, and then I think somebody corrected me and said Lima. So Oh, it could be. I could somebody, be. I, but I don't know for sure, and I meant to actually look it up. Yeah. But I probably would have got the same thing if I looked I it up. I probably got Lima beans on the brain. You know probably. I love them. Yeah, that's sad. <laughs> I'm not sure the year, but it was on December 5th in the afternoon. It was close to quitting time, and he was hoping that the a last-minute call wasn't going to come in. You know how that goes. You're probably ready to get out of here. Yep. And no matter what you're doing, if you're in retail, you don't want that customer to walk walk in in the door. Yep. What a restaurant, you don't want that diner coming in, whatever deal is. He's the same way. He was sitting in his police car and he's sitting there just looking at the clock and he's like, Man, I hope this call doesn't come in. Mm -hmm. And all he he said, All he could think about was going to pick up his two little boys and and just enjoy the rest of his day. He he even thought about, he said, more tongue in cheek. But he even thought about just turning the radio down so even if there was a call, he wouldn't hear it. Oh. But, you know, and he said and it was only because this day he was really tired of being out in the cold. It was really cold. Yeah. He was tired of being out there and ready to get home. But he knew he couldn't do that, so he left the radio on. Of course, he received a call about a suspicious vehicle. Now, apparently, this car had stopped at a bank drive through and the occupants had open containers of beer. So I guess somebody from the bank made a call to the police that, hey, these guys or this family or whoever stopped by and they got, you know, open beers in the car. I don't know if they're drunk or what, but somebody needs to know about it. Funny enough, as soon as the call came through, the actual car drove straight past him. So he was like, there's absolutely no way I could ignore this. I'll just take the call. So he starts pursuit. He was able to conduct a standard police stop several blocks away. Now, oddly enough, the stop was right in front of the hospital that Officer DeVita's wife works at. So the officer carefully walked up to the car. He noticed closed containers of beer still in the store bag. The bag was in the floorboard in front of the passenger. He didn't notice any smell of of beer or alcohol whatsoever. In the car was two adults and a small child. All seemed to be very 
be very pleasant and mild-mannered. Mm-hmm. He checks the driver's license. They were good. No warrants, nothing like that. But then he notices that the car's plates are expired. The officer then informed the driver that he was going to have to write him a citation for the expired plates. And unfortunately, he was going to have to have the car towed in. Oh, no. So he instructed the driver to wait in the back of his cruiser. And that he would explain how to take care of everything and how to get his car out of impound and all that stuff. He informed the driver, tried to make him feel better, and, and told him, look, everything's going to be okay. So the driver got in the back of the cruiser. So the officer's shift supervisor has now arrived on the scene, and he kept a watch over the other two occupants in the car. So here's the good part. As Officer DeVita is explaining to the man how to get his car out of impound, he feels the hairs on his back and neck stand up and feel tingly. He felt a very strong urging to get out. He said it was something that practically pushed him out of the car. It felt like a dire urgency that danger was fast approaching. He said it didn't feel like when a human pushes you out. It was like an internal feeling of being pushed. He said it was like someone telling you to get out, but you didn't hear it. You felt it. So he also said it's very hard to explain, as you can tell by the fact that he tried four different times. By saying, well, it's like this. It's kind of like that. It feels like this. So he quickly jumps out of his car. And this feeling prompted him to draw his firearm and confront the driver. After the officer jerked open the door of his cruiser, he said his jaw dropped. He could plainly see that the driver was raising a handgun from between his legs and pointing it at the back of the driver's seat. <gasps> Where he would have, where he was sitting, just seconds ago. The officer had obviously taken the driver back there by surprise by how fast he got out of the cruiser and drew his weapon. He and the supervisor wrestled the gun away from the, the guy. He was arrested on a felony charge. So the suspect's gun was loaded with nine millimeter rounds, and there was one in the chamber. From that day on, Officer DeVita said he's never, ever put anyone in his cruiser without frisking them first. He said that he had other incidents in his career that involved this type of a strong urging or uh, prompting, and some led to the recovery of murdered people. That is crazy. I mean, okay, so wait. Did he have a felony already? Is that what you're saying? No, it, no. But kind of when you pull a gun on an officer, you they, meant they just count now. That as, yeah, he, that's the felony. Okay, that's because you felony. said he he ran a check on him and then came up. Right. Yeah. No, the felony they arrested him on the felony. The, the arrest the felony was pulling a gun on the, yeah. on the cop. I mean, if he was, they were so nice and polite. I mean, I guess you can't trust anybody. But he probably just didn't even think. Well, they they're cool. It's fine. You know. Nope. And that's like you said. That's why he's learned his lesson to frisk everybody before you yeah. put him in the car because you never know. Oh my know. gosh, he is so lucky. He said he never mentioned any of these occurrences while he was still on the force because nobody wants to be labeled as crazy, especially a police officer. But after retiring, he felt the need to share the situation. Wow. God bless him. I'll tell you what I. These police officers, I don't know how they do it. I just don't. Tracy, the next story involves another state trooper, but it's more about his wife's experience more than his experience. But he was there, so I decided to include it because I thought it was a cool story. This story is from Michigan State Trooper Brett Smith. Now, Brett actually knows the... Ohio guy. No, the oh. the, the first one, Officer, uh, Officer Brown. Oh, state okay. Trooper Brown. He knows him. All right, so his wife was a real estate agent, and they were in Monroe County area of mm -hmm. Michigan. A young trooper was trying to get on, I guess, the state trooper as, as a state trooper, and he had still had to buy a house and was still supposed to take this test, and he was unable to pass the field officer training program, so he was dismissed from the apart the department. I, I wonder why. Well, I guess he just didn't cut the mustard Aww. out of him. After finding out that he was not going to be getting the job, he found a, another job that was outside of the area, so he needed to sell his house. Trooper Smith's wife, Amy, 
decided to help him sell the house. So the selling trooper still had some furniture and some other items in the house that he was going to pick up at a later date. But he was no longer living there. And for the most part, the house was empty because he had already moved almost everything else. So Brett and Amy and their two sons went to the house because Amy needed to take some pictures. Brett kept the two boys busy so Amy could get a few photos of each one of the rooms. She ended up giving the digital pictures, I guess they were on a disc or mm-hmm. a uh, SD card, to her secretary to upload to the computer. The next day, Amy called to check on the pictures. She was informed that the pictures all turned out fine, but then she was asked about the woman in the pictures. Well, Amy told the secretary that there was no woman in the pictures. It was just her, her husband, and the two sons there. Well, the secretary then emailed the pictures to Amy, so she was shocked at what she saw. She showed the picture to her husband, Trooper Smith. He was also kind of stunned because there was no one in the house when they were there other than themselves. Amy reached out to the real estate agent who had sold the house to the client, Mm -hmm. the trooper, the younger trooper. Mm -hmm. And um, she asked this this agent if she was familiar with the family who used to live there. And uh, she said, yes, she did. And uh, so Amy sent her the picture. And she said, okay, uh, let me get in touch with the family who lived there. So this agent then goes and shows the photo to the woman who used to live in the house. And the woman immediately identified the woman in the picture as her mother. Mm-hmm. The issue here is that her mother had died three years earlier. Gosh, I can't even imagine them, how she reacted when she saw that. She said, uh, now this picture, by the way, the woman was standing in the doorway. Mm-hmm. And she said her mother liked to stand in the doorway to look at the neighbors. And that's exactly where she was standing. Oh, in these wow. Aw. How so. sweet is that for her, though? Yeah. I guess once after she got over the initial shock. Right. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Now, this last one's my favorite. Okay. And I'm going to freely admit that this story does not involve the paranormal, but it is freaky as hell, so I wanted to share it. This is from retired chief of police of Leslie, Michigan, Dwayne Leroy. The officer said that this had happened several years ago. So it's just a random day. He received a call for a police assistance involving a motorcycle slash car crash. He and his partner responded to the accident. And when they get on the scene upon arrival, they found the male lying face down in a ditch. It was the, the motorcyclist. He was pronounced dead on the scene. Mm. They next noticed a car that had heavy damage to the passenger side door. The car had been pulling into the driveway as the motorcycle came over the hill and apparently coming over the hill, didn't didn't see it and wrecked into the car. The motorcyclist had been speeding and plowed right into the side. The driver had no way to change the outcome or avoid the collision. I mean, he's in a driveway practically. Mm Mm-hmm. The motorcyclist hit the car at full speed. My gosh. So the driver was in complete shock. And the officer said he was as white as a ghost. Police are used to seeing people in shock. It's very common in a situation like this. But he said that something about this just, just seemed completely different than what they were used to seeing. He said this driver almost seemed to be more in a trance than just in Mm -hmm. shock. So he stared blankly as he recalled what happened to police. Driver explained that he was from over 150 miles south of the location they're currently at. He said that he had driven up here to meet his friend. They were planning a fishing trip to Canada. He was just pulling into the driveway of the house when the motorcycle plowed into him. Again, the man was in a trance-like state that neither officer had seen before. 
They just knew something was strange, almost as if the man had had a near-death experience himself. Mm -hmm. So the driver explained that when the bike hit his car, he saw the man fly over the car and into the ditch. Oh my gosh, how horrible. He explained that wasn't anything that he possibly could have done, and he stared blankly ahead. He slowly shook his head as he spoke. He, he then said that he got out of the car, but suddenly he sees his sister-in-law running down the road. She's screaming and running to the man in the ditch. He said, my sister-in-law is in disbelief. He said, officer, I thought it was a dream. How could this be my sister-in-law? She lives downstate over a two-hour drive from here. I thought I was seeing a ghost. Then it suddenly dawned on me that that was my brother on that motorcycle. <gasps> what? Oh, the, my gosh. The officer says, what? The driver said that he, they knew that each other had friends in this town, in this area, but they, no. they didn't know each other's friends personally. They had no idea that they would both be in this town today. He hadn't seen his brother in quite some time because the distance that they lived from each other was pretty far. The man said, I can't believe that we're in this town, the same town together, at the same time. How could we be here just together at this time for him to hit my car? Oh, my God. I'm going to cry. That's terrible. As the police sorted things out, they learned that his brother was helping a friend repair a motorcycle, and he had been test driving the bike where the accident occurred. Neither brother knew that they were going to be in the same town that day, let alone the same part of the same road in that town. So what are the odds that a man kills his own brother in an accident so far away from both of their homes. That is so devastating. Oh, my God. That poor guy has to live with that. He saw the whole thing. His sister-in-law saw the whole thing. I can't even imagine. I mean, just think about... I mean, think about wherever you are right now. You drive... Two, in his case, 120 miles, which is basically an hour and a half, hour mm -hmm. and 45 minutes. You drive an hour and 45 minutes to a town away from your home. Your brother doesn't live where you live. He lives completely far away, and he drives two hours on the same day. You haven't talked to each other. You end up not only on the same town, on the same stretch of road, and you run into your brother's car while you're test driving a bike. I mean... The, I, I don't even want to think about what the odds of that would be. And why would such a thing happen? I mean, that is just so awful. Oh, I just want to cry. That's just... I can't even imagine. Well, there was a story I had read about uh, this gentleman that tried... He went around the railroad track crossing oh yeah yeah and to try to beat the train and unfortunately the train hit him and yeah, killed he him was, he was in his car the the poles were down yeah and he went and he went around it and got hit by the train yeah and it killed him well a couple of days later his brothers he had two brothers that went were walking up the track to the where it happened i guess just to look around and they both got hit in the same exact place that his brother got killed both of them died. And see, and that's a coincidence that's strange enough, but you can at least see how that might happen because they were on train tracks. No, no, no. Sorry. I so totally that, get that. That makes sense. I mean, I mean but... It's my, still odd. It's so odd. And it's like this poor mother lost three of her sons, like, within two days of each other. But I don't understand if you're on a train track how you don't hear a train coming. Why do you... I don't understand that. Why you can't... You should have plenty of time to get off this train I've, track. I've never understood that. Now, you see sometimes homeless people will will fall asleep on yeah, a train God track. Love them. Which and I don't understand that either. I mean, unless they're just, just maybe alcohol drunk or something, or something like yeah. that. But 
You know, if you're homeless and you have anywhere you can sleep, why would you be asleep on a train track? That just just doesn't. Yeah, but I don't, but, I don't get it. I mean, but I've seen people several times hit by a train walking, mm-hmm. and I've asked the same thing. How is that possible? Yeah, I don't know. It's just so heartbreaking. I just I feel so bad for these families. It's just such a horrible thing. I oh. just ugh, ugh. I don't. It just tears at your heart. It does. I just can't imagine. It's just so, why does the universe make it that way? Why in the world would they be there at that exact time? It's just. It's strange. It's so strange. You know, there was a story, uh, I want to say, it's over in, I can't remember, maybe it was in Hungary or maybe it was in Belgium, but it was the the two brothers on the mopeds. And the one brother was driving and a guy had gotten into a cab and the cab hit and killed the brother on this moped. And I think a year later to the day, I want to say it was exactly a year later to the day, this guy hopped into the same cab and it hit a moped and killed the other brother. It was the same. Stop mo- it. Yes. That, that happened. It's been verified. Oh but the, so the same Why that the, d- cab driver, the fired? same cab, cab driver had the same person in the car as a fare and he hit brothers a year apart from each other and killed them both. What the hell? Okay. Number one, how do you end up with the same guy? Number two, why is that guy still a cab driver? His ass should have been fired a long time ago. Well, you don't know what the situation was. The guy might've pulled out in front of him. Well, that could be true. Okay, we had two strikes. Come on. Well, it's that is it was so wild. Yeah, so I mean, and that actually is probably more of a coincidence than what happened in this story. Yeah, that's because so it involved crazy. happened twice, and wow. I and I I think it was a year ago to the day that it happened the oh other time. Oh my gosh! I have to look it up and post it, but I'm I'm sure people have heard that before. Matter of fact, we did a coincidence. Uh, show on Patreon a while back, and that was one of the ones I believe we covered on it. Mm. But yeah, it's pretty incredible. But yeah, that's it's, been researched and been found out to be fact. Isn't it crazy how the world is? Just crazy. And then you had the other situation where the guy was walking down the street and a baby fell out the, the window and he caught it. Yes. And then, uh, like years later, it happened again to the same guy. He caught another baby. Isn't that crazy? So yeah, it's it's, it's a, just like that guy's an angel. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like he's just meant to be where he's meant to be. Apparently. So. Incredible. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break from our sponsor, and then we'll be back to tell you about all kinds of exciting stuff. And uh, we've still got our interview coming up with Stephanie Smith, so stay tuned. All right, Tracy, let's cover um, some show notes first. Show notes! Yeah! So if you're a fan of the our YouTube stories, Hillbilly Dead Time stories, that will unfortunately, at least for the time being, uh, come to an end. Now, we're still going to leave the videos up. There's 31 up at this point. We're still going to be doing the episodes every week on Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hillbilly Dead Time Stories will still continue to be an episode. In fact, we're going to start doing two of those a week. Mm-hmm. So, but just, just, the vid- video. just the videos going away. And the main reason, look, I, we've always been upfront on things. You know, Tim Mullins was doing these for a while. He got extremely busy with work, and then I started taking them over. So we've probably done, he's probably done half of them, I've mm-hmm. done half of them. Mm-hmm. He might have done a few more than half, but we're about 50-50 on those things. But these little 8- to 10-minute videos take about four hours to do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a little bit longer, but for the most part, take about four hours to do. And to be honest with you, it wasn't, they, they weren't getting the views that I would hope they would, they would get. Uh, compared to the listens. So the reality of it is, you know, if we take that four hours of video time and put that towards doing extra content for the podcast, we could actually put out two more episodes a week of, you know, Hillbilly Horror Stories, some way, shape, or form. And that's what we decided to do. So going forward, and this started last night, Tracy and I will be doing a mini episode. I think last night was 10 minutes, 11 minutes long. On nothing but UFOs, it's called HHS UF Only, and it's for uh, basically the five years I've ignored UFO stories on the show. <laughs> and but they're going to be lesser known UFO stories, and like I said, it was much like our close encounter episode that we did a couple weeks ago. That's kind of what kicked us off. We got a really good response from that. Mm-hmm. People saying they wish we'd do more, and I thought, you know what? 
let's just do it. So now every Saturday night, we will be putting out a short episode like that. The first one hit last night. So if you haven't listened to it, listen to it. We try to make it fun. We do it the same way we do this show. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, instead of a 30-minute story, it's a 10-minute story. Yeah. But we had fun doing that. It's just something to fill in the kinks. Right. Uh, I don't think that's really a term, but yeah. <laughs> I thought so, it was. <laughs> I don't think it is. Yeah. So we got that, and then uh, we'll be putting out an, an additional episode of Hillbilly Dead Time Story. So you get two of those a week. No video, but two audios. So that gives you six days a week. Every day except for Monday, you will have some new audio coming out from Hillbilly Horror Stories. I say it's all new, but one of them is a classic episode. But it's still us. So right. every day you're going to have something in your inbox 100% free. Nice. So I thought that would be fun to do. It will be fun. Knock yourself out. The next thing. Yeah, more work for me. Yay. <laughs> so the next thing that we're going to cover is the birthday bash. Hillbilly Horror Stories for Ohio. That is 13 days from today, August 21st in Louisville. There are still about 20, 25 tickets left, but they're going quick because there's already been like five sold today. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be fun. I do have one announcement to make. Unfortunately, um, we drink and we know things is not going to be there at the show as initially promised. Uh, I talked to Tom and Andrea Tom just took a new position and he's going to be out of town training that day. And is unfortunately, you know, you can't just mm. tell your training well, hell no, when it's going to happen. So he, they've had to to back out. So unfortunately, they won't be there, but we will have somebody there in their place. But I'm working on it as we speak. Yeah. So we are so excited to see you guys. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you haven't bought tickets yet, HillbillyHorrorStories.com and you can get tickets on there. And um, yeah, come out. We miss you all. Also, you heard the commercial beforehand. We've got Memphis, we've got uh, Galveston, and we've got Dallas coming, Dallas area. It's actually Grand Prairie, but Dallas area uh, coming up in October. Bobby Mackey's is coming up in October. The big one, though, which is sooner, is in September, St. Augustine with History Goes Bump. There are only eight tickets left for that. Oh, cool. And that one, like I said, they've actually got room set aside on the beach. And uh, I say that it's really just a tent. No, I'm just kidding. It's actually, these are condos that are for rent and they gave us special prices. So they, I think they still have a couple of rooms left if you want to come down. Or if you've already bought your tickets and haven't booked a room yet, uh, call the people out there at uh, Beecher's Resort. And uh, that all that information to call them is actually on com under the, the ticket site. Or you can just room with us. That is not going to happen. But uh, <laughs> wait a minute, send pictures. Who knows? Stop. <laughs> but... That's going to be a fun show, and there's still tickets for the Lighthouse Investigation the night before. We are uh, super excited about it. And and Diane and myself have added two professional tour guides for this. We didn't have tour guides set up. It was just going to be us. But there is a tour guide uh, that Diane and them know that she's had on their show from New Orleans, who does New Orleans uh, uh, ghost tours. He's going to lead half of us. And then uh, we've got Nick from Charleston, his ghost tours. Oh, yeah. Nick McGurr, who's been on our show, he's going to come down and lead the other half. Oh, my gosh, you guys. And and they're they're bringing equipment and stuff. It's going to be fun. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to eat my Wheaties that morning. Woo. Nice. Nice. So, all right. I know that was a lot, but we needed to get through all that. So, Tracy, tell us what we got as far as reviews and uh, iTunes, and then we'll move on to Stephanie Smith's interview. All right. This week we have S-J, I'm just going to spell it, W-A-S-T-W, S-M-C-M-N, Billy Barton, Mojo Lobster, Post Humorous, Boots on the Floor, The Real Roadie 3000, and D-N-S-T-I-N. So it's Dustin, I think, short maybe. You guys, thank you so much for your wonderful reviews. We just love y'all and appreciate you more than you'll know. Um, we look forward every day to seeing if we have new reviews, and you guys have been wonderful about that. And our Patreon this week is Misty Wallace. Thank you, doll, for supporting us. And what? The ninja down here, doll, snoring next to the mic. I know. Ninja was just saying thank you to you guys. <laughs> but we love y'all and appreciate y'all more than you will ever, ever know. And I want to add at the Louisville show, well, at all the shows, but the Louisville's the one that's coming up the quickest. 
we're going to have uh, books, t-shirts. I've got one hoodie. We've got stickers and we have air fresheners. Oh my God. So we're going to have a little bit of everything we can sell. We'll have some packages put together so you can buy everything a little bit cheaper and stuff like that. Yeah. If you want, that is. But some want. I hope so. Because that's nice. All right. Let's take a... Another really quick break from a sponsor. This is a short one. And then we will come back with Stephanie Smith. You guys are going to like this. She's she's very fun as, as far as the story she's got to tell. Awesome. Hey, guys. I'm excited to have this next guest on. I've been able to talk to her a little bit on Facebook. And I remember when I first saw her profile, we had some mutual friends. And uh, I sent her a friend request. We had never talked before. She gladly accepted it. So I should say graciously more than gladly, because she's probably think, who's this fruitcake that I don't know, just sending me a random friend request. But this is how I get a lot of our guests is, is I'll see people because there's so many paranormal friends that, that we have in common. They show up and I, and I use this opportunity to get guests. So I want to welcome Stephanie Smith. She is actually uh I guess I'm going to say an employee on on the, at the Shanley Hotel up in New York. And, and I remember the first time somebody sent me an article on the Shanley. It was basically, hey, this hotel, you have to sign a waiver to be able to stay there. And the first time I looked at it, I swear I thought it said the Stanley Hotel. And then I, I had to when I started reading, it, I was like, well, wait a minute, this is the New York. And I'm sure that happens quite often. So first and foremost, thank you, Stephanie, for, for accepting my friend request and agreeing to come on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So you say that does happen quite often, the mistake of Shanley and Stanley? Yes, all the time, really. <laughs> so before we get into what you do there, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about the Shanley Hotel itself. Tell me about where it's at, a little bit of the history and okay. why you think it's so haunted. Well, it's been named one of the most haunted um, hotels on the East Coast. And so there's around 47 spirits there all the time um, or some of them come and go. So, and we can get extras. We get extras quite frequently, actually. (laughs) Um, The hotel was actually built in 1845 by a man named Thomas Rich. Eventually it passed hands to the Shanley clan who were very, very influential. Um, They had some ties to the Irish mafia. So they're- there's a little bit of that history that's involved with the hotel and some of the spirits there. Um, we like to say they dabbled, but it's a little bit more than that. <laughs> uh, you know, they had a speakeasy and some bootlegging things going on. So um, there's there's so much history. It was also a biker bar in the 70s and 80s, and I think into the early 90s. Really rough and tumble, fights every night, cops called type of thing. Um, it sat kind of dormant and for sale for a long time until Salvatore Nicosia purchased it, I think around 2011. He used to say that the hotel actually called to him when he drove past it. So he purchased it at auction, sight unseen, didn't know it was haunted until after the first night. And then he found out it was and <laughs> decided he was going to change what he would do with it and wanted it to be a haunted hotel attraction. Now, was it a hotel ever during its history bef- before this? Yep. It, it's pretty much always been a hotel. Okay, it just always had the bar and stuff attached to it. and Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, that makes sense. So what kind of experience did he have on his first night? Um, footsteps, and he kept hearing people talking. Um, of course, whenever he heard the footsteps, I believe he had somebody else with him that night, that very first night. But he thought, oh, gosh, the cops probably see a light on and think somebody's broken in or something. But, of course, there were no cops outside. And and so after that, I was told he got a book for ghost hunting for dummies and a little <laughs> tape recorder and started recording his first EVPs and took off from there. Now, the articles that every time I've ever seen the Shanley, it, it's always associated with you have to sign a waiver to stay there. Is yes. that accurate? And if so, when did that start taking place? Um, I don't know when it, exactly it started taking place. It's definitely been that way since the current owner, Kelly, um, has had it after Sal passed away, um, we pretty much, I like to kid around with the guests whenever they come in. So I, I usually say, you know, you have to sign your waiver, sign your life away, basically stating if you get pushed, scratched, pinched, bitten, um, I have to say possessed now, <laughs> which has only happened once, but it was a big misunderstanding. Sure. Um, as, as it happens. 
Yeah. <laughs> I say, you you know, if you die, you become one of our ghosts and, and we're not liable. So <laughs> everybody gets a big kick out of it and thinks it's pretty funny. <laughs> they think it's funny until they got to start paying hotel rates every day uh, instead of having to, <laughs> having to pay a mortgage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what you do and how you became uh, a part of the, the Shanley family up there. I was actually there um, just over a year ago, I think. And I was there just doing an investigation. I had the whole hotel to myself. Nobody else was booking for that night. Kelly took me around as she, as she does. And um, in the basement, she realized that I had some psychic abilities and said, do you need a job? And I was like, well, yeah, (laughs) and that's, it just fell into my lap. That's funny. So what do you do there now as far as how do you use your psychic abilities, your knowledge of the hotel? How do you put all that into play? I take the guests around to do investigations um, and use, you know, use a lot of our equipment that we have. And when I get messages from like loved ones, which is usually what happens, it's usually a loved one that comes through. Um, I ask them, you know, hey, does anybody happen to have an affiliation with somebody with, you know, I had one lady with one night with a, she had a really, it was sticking up kind of like a peacock and she was bouncing her head like this because the, the feather would kind of bobble. And she thought it was the funniest thing. And somebody spoke up and said, actually, yes, my aunt who passed away years ago, um, loved hats like that. And she had some, and she was very eccentric. (laughs) Oh, nice. So I, I just get little things like that and just let people know, Hey, your loved one's here. And you know, talk to them. <laughs> now, does that surprise you that you would get a, uh, say, a relative of someone that's there investigating as opposed to someone that's connected to the hotel? Because most yeah. of the time when you hear these things, it's usually just somebody, you know, they're at the hotel. And I'll, I'll bring this up. I had a a tour guide. He just literally shared this before you got on with me. And I had never heard this before. And so I won't divulge what city or, or what have you, but yeah. this tour guide uses his own equipment and he, he works things a little bit different in the aspect that he doesn't tell you history. He'll take you to like a cemetery or something upon the tour, give you uh, the tools and say, you tell me what you get and I'll tell you yeah. if it fits. Yeah. And, but he said that they were at one location and a gentleman there was actually trying to reach his loved ones mm-hmm. through the equipment as opposed to what they were doing. And also he was actually apparently mentally struggling and was actually trying to find out what the afterlife was like in case he tried to take further measures, which hopefully isn't a case that would happen. Yeah. But I'd never heard of that before. As far as usually when you go somewhere, you're picking up spirits from the location you're at, not yeah. necessarily someone that would be attached to you or wanting to make contact with you. So I find it interesting that I got that right before you just mentioned that. And I'd never really heard either one of those until yeah. the last 10 minutes. So we have a room that we call the seance room. And we're not sure if if this happens because we call it a seance room or if there may be another portal in there or what it is. But something about that room, relatives and loved ones come through all the time. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. It's pretty neat. (laughs) How difficult is it to get a room at the Shanley hotel? Is there like a long waiting list or is it pretty, does it just depend on the time of year? Yeah. I mean, right now I know like weekends are kind of booked weekdays are pretty much wide open. Um, You can either book a room individually or we have what's called a friends and family. So for one price, you get the entire hotel and you can bring like up to eight people which is kind of nice because then you don't have to worry about, you know, outsiders and people that you may not necessarily agree with or whatnot. So, and you get the run of the place. Now I know what's in the, uh, you know, having to sign off on the waiver, Mm -hmm. what kind of experiences have guests had there? Just your typical guests, not necessarily paranormal investigators, but somebody just staying a couple of nights there or what have you, what kind of experiences have they had? Um, We have, well, we have all kinds, really. Um, we have skeptics that come through sometimes just to see if we're faking anything. And that's actually part of our, you know, our, our thing in the in the very beginning when we give a history and, and go over some of the rules and, and ghost hunting 101. Uh, we just remind people we don't fake anything here. If you 
get experiences, great. That's a bonus. If you don't, we at least hope that you have a good time. Um, so for instance, we had a skeptic come in, 100% skeptic, and he was standing outside of Esther's room, who was Mrs. Shanley's uh, sister. He had a GoPro on his hat, and he felt like somebody pushed him against the door or towards the door, and his GoPro went flying the other way. <laughs> that must so, have been a nice little shove. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it made him you know, kind of stumble a little bit, so it knocked him off his feet a little. He left there saying he is a 30% believer and would be back. <laughs> a 30% believer. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so you had mentioned in the waiver, like scratching and stuff. Has there been people that have been scratched there? Oh, yes. Lots of times. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times when, when people talk about scratching, they usually consider that uh, some type of malevolent spirit. Do you feel like that there are spirits there that are a little on the seedy side? Or do you feel like those are just one of a kind things? What do you think? Uh, well, one in particular is not very nice. And so he is known to scratch and choke. Um, another one that I know has scratched people, it was literally a matter of respect. So he has his very special chair. And if you do not ask permission to sit in it, then you're going to pay the consequences. <laughs> wow. It's a sh- Hopefully, you know that going in, because otherwise you just yeah. randomly sit in a chair. <laughs> <laughs> I always warn everybody about his chair. Just you know, please ask permission. It's a sign of respect for him. He was a mafia hitman, so he's all about respect. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I have a question that we bring up on the show all the time. And mm-hmm. after five years of, of doing this, I've still never really gotten a good answer. Okay. So maybe you can help me with this. You had okay. mentioned that you believe there are as many as 47 spirits there and some come and go. Yes. How do you, and keep in mind, I'm not a skeptic. I'm a 100% believer. Yep. How do you differentiate between so many different spirits to say, I think we've got 47? I understand that in some cases, things stand out, like uh, like the chair. That was his chair. You could understand if, that, you know, if this guy was partial to this chair and things start happening, it would make sense that it was him. That's an easy one. Yeah. But how do you sometimes, if you see just a shadow figure and, and some poltergeist type activity, things missing around the house. How do you assign that to one particular spirit to be able to determine how many you've got in a, in a location? Just the ones that we encounter usually, you know, on a, on a regular basis, because some of them stay in certain areas and don't go to other places. Some will go all over the hotel. Um, In particular, we have six children and the children are generally all over the place. So Um, sometimes if we feel, you know, like a tug on the back of the shirt or, or somebody playing with your hair a little bit, usually that's little Rosie, who's only three. Um, if you feel in particular, um, the mafia guy, if he is drawn to you and he actually likes you and wants to comfort you, he's got very big hands and you can feel his, his big hand, just trying to comfort you a little bit. Um, it just depends on the room that you're in. And, and we also, we use what's called the phasma box. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Mm -hmm. Um, so we use that quite frequently as well. And we've learned to differentiate between their voices too, which is helpful. Very helpful. Now, see, that makes a little more sense to me. I guess where I get confused is the situation, like you said, with the little girl tugging the hair, if you've got six kids or you feel like there's six children, Mm-hmm. You know, if if there any of them are near the same age, what differentiates in one phone pulling the hair as opposed to one of the others pulling the hair or, you know, I guess that's that's my yeah. question. And I'm sure it's it's hard. You know, I just it, I mean, it's obviously it's not going to be 100 percent, but it's sure. pretty much just a good guess. And because we know certain patterns of certain spirits like Rosie likes to play with hair and tug on your shirt if she wants to follow you around for a little while. Um, Helen will just flat out say I'm Helen and and I'm here. <laughs> um, Jamie likes to play with the balls and actually so does Jonathan. Jonathan likes to play with the balls and trucks. So like I said, depends on where we're at in the hotel and, and the different feelings that we get to. So. So, but we're going to move on to a different house that uh, you're associated with and in, in, in some ways, but before we do tell people how, if they want to learn more about the Shanley hotel, or if they want to book a night, what's the best way to do that? Or, or either, an investigation, I should say. Yeah. Either um, go on to the website, the haunted or on Facebook. 
Um, if you send a message to Kelly on Facebook through the hotel website, um, she's always very respondent on getting back to everybody. So um, you can put pick the rooms individually, or you can message her directly and just and just say, hey, I'd like to book a friends and family so I get the whole hotel. And awesome. Give you dates and set you up. Now we've done to move forward a little bit. We've done an episode on uh, the Hensdale House up in New York. How how far apart is the Hensdale House from from this location? It's about four to five hours. Okay, that's pretty far then. I would have thought yeah. they might have been a little closer together. Yeah. But <laughs> so we we did an episode on that. We had the uh, the the uh, fun opportunity to be able to meet Daniel Clay's at the yeah. uh, Crypticon we were at. At the, the same weekend we released our episode and we didn't know he was even going to be there. So it was kind of a, a big thrill to us. Yeah. Super nice guy. Now he took over the Hensdale house uh, year, some years ago. They were going to tear it down. Basically the family was, yeah. and um, he kind of jumped in and saved it. And he's been doing all kinds of investigate, opening it up for investigations and stuff out there to raise money to help restore the place. Yeah. First of all, how is that going? How's the restoration process going out there? It's, amazing he's done such a great job he's got you know the driveway is paved now um i know he's looking at building a little kind of like a a central hub building on the field uh just so that if you're investigating and you set up cameras you've got a different building to go into to check out all of you know if you set up your your monitors and things like that so you can watch what happens in the house without you in it um the pond has a really nice patio deck around it so it's he's done a lot to that house. It's amazing. Oh, nice. And see, I wouldn't even expect all that because I know yeah. when he first got the place, it was like the roof was caving in and there were mm-hmm. walls that were unsafe. So, I mean, it, it was going to take a lot of structural work yes. just to get the house back in shape. So I really wouldn't expect all the extra. So that's, that's yeah. nice. I know they just had to rebuild the front porch as well because it fell apart. So it's amazing. So tell me how you have some affiliation with the Hensdale house, besides obviously knowing Daniel. Um, I, when I first moved to New York a couple of years ago, I had heard about Hinsdale house. I'd actually, technically I'd had a dream about it <laughs> before I even knew what it was. And so it kind of always called to me, um, when I first got the opportunity, uh, if you know, Amy Perry Lane, mm-hmm. Perry Expeditions, she had an event booked, uh, for the Hinsdale. And I was like, Oh, I'll sign up and go. So I booked it and drove down there by myself and <laughs> stayed the night in the house and investigated with the people there. So that's, that's how I met everybody. <laughs> it's actually the Hensdale house. As far as the backstory on it, it's actually one of my favorite stories. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing from so many different aspects yes. from the, the native American aspects, from yeah. the, the family that lived there to, I mean, just everything about that story is fascinating to me. Yeah, it, it definitely it, is. It doesn't get the publicity of the Conjuring House, mm-hmm. but at the in the paranormal circles, it kind of does. But as far as the regular world, most people can probably tell you about the Conjuring House because of the movie. But yeah. I think the Hensdale House has every bit the history and fascinating story as the Conjuring House. Oh, definitely. hundred percent. So yeah. very cool. Yeah. You said you've had an experience or two in the, in the Hensdale House. Tell me about a couple. Uh, my first night there with Amy Perry Lane and everybody, um, towards the end of the night, everybody was going to lay down and kind of get a couple hours sleep. It was probably 4 a.m. And I laid down on the couch and there was a man that wanted to sleep on the floor on the other side of the coffee table from where I was at. And I offered him the couch, but he said, no, 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 I got a really bad back and I need a hard flat surface. So he chose the floor. And I remember trying so hard to fall asleep and I really was tossing and turning and I turned over to face where he was. And I saw a woman in, and it sounds totally cliche, cliche, long, straight black hair. And she's wearing a white nightgown, but she's literally (laughs) bent over like an L shape looking at this man, like towards his face. And it, I didn't get startled just because I felt like she was more questioning why there's a man sleeping on the floor. (laughs) And so I just said, Oh, okay. And I rolled back over and tried to get a little bit of sleep. (laughs) When everybody got up, Amy says, oh, that's who the kids used to call the lady of the lake. So, yeah, I had a similar situation in the uh, Sally house, but it was a completely different. It was actually a real woman that walked in a room and (laughs) laid down on the bed beside us. But it's it's a whole different story. So 
let me ask you this, because this is another question that comes up all the time on our show. It's more of a running joke. Why are so many spirits ladies in white, do you think? What is the significance? If it's just just the time period and because that was the color of their nightgowns, like I don't, it doesn't seem to me like a lot of ladies had different colored nightgowns. They certainly didn't have all the designs and patterns that we do now. And so a lot of these Victorian and and prior eras, it was just a plain white nightgown because that's, that was just what they needed. That was it. One or two nightgowns. So I think some of them that just fell asleep and and didn't wake up or, or were bedridden were probably in their nightgown, nightgown whenever they passed away. So that's my thought. And that does make sense. I know colors were, you know, a purple back then or indigo. I mean, it was like you had to be rich to even get a color like that because of the process to make it and all that. So, yep. Well, Stephanie, it's been a blast having you on. And like I said, uh, I appreciate everything you do in the community. It's it's fun knowing that there's people out there in the paranormal community that actually represent it uh, very well. And I think you do that. Thank you so much. Too much bickering and fighting going on between the paranormal community. It all needs to stop. So yeah. it's it's a pleasure when you meet somebody that actually is on the, the right side of things. So <laughs> thank you. I but do th- try to stay on that side. <laughs> thank you for coming on. And uh, I'll make sure that we post links to the Shanley Hotel. And oh, that way thank people you. can uh, can book it if they want to check it out. I know we got a lot of listeners up in uh, yeah. that area. So it'll yep. work out great. It's definitely an interesting place. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. I want to go up to that place so bad. It is so far away from us. One day, one day we're going to make it to Salem and we're going to hit that place on the same trip. We'll just do an up north deal. Like, you know, but I keep saying that we were going to do out west and up north. And I know. We just never really seem to get everything done we want done. Well, you know, it's life. It's called That's life. True. But if you get a chance to get and you're in that neck of the woods, Go ahead and, uh, and stay up to Shanley. I think you'll really enjoy it. It sounds no, like a really cool it place. It does. It sounds amazing. Maybe one day, sweetheart. So, All right, guys. Thank you so much for everything you do for us. We greatly appreciate it. I'm sitting here staring Freddie <laughs> face to face. He's eyeballing me like I'm going to say something wrong. It puts a lot of pressure. <laughs> so, But thanks to all of you. We appreciate it, and we love you, and we'll talk to you soon. Have a blessed week, guys. We love you.